Phoenix Overlook Pop Culture. And we are live for episode 84. Um, and um, a few hours ago, my head nearly exploded at a new concept. I'm Thomas. I'm Shaggy here, buddy. Um, last episode, we kind of touched upon the possibility of looking at kind of programming and um, with the Raspberry Pi and how Python's good to start out with for beginners. And I, I kind of been doing that with uh, uh, learn Python the hard way. And, and the way that they go about it is, is they, they actually make you um, Zed Shaw makes you type everything in and there are some exercises which will make you kind of look it up and research it. Um, the, the pound sign, for example, had multiple me- has multiple meanings from the past. <laughs> so, um, in later exercises, chances are I'm going to be forced to look things up because his idea is you don't want to rely on one source. You want to be able to find other sources of information too to help you out um my background is limited in programming um i left it in college because frankly i don't have the didn't have the patience for it at the time um my background my background is visual basic six some some of the modern incarnations of it through the net framework a little bit of java that that's what basically killed my patience for a while. Um, going from an all-encompassing environment where you draw controls on the screen, double-click, start coding, and then in some cases code, you know, external modules and things like that too. Boom! Here's a text editor. You're going to go to the command prompt, try to compile this thing, and good luck to you. Um, so. I tried doing that. Um, what I've learned so far is how to print messages, which is standard. Um, how you can actually code within Python itself, which is kind of cool. Um, I, but, personally, I, hate <laughs> I would rather type all my stuff into a text file and then just run the command in the command line just to run it. Yeah. But I mean... For, in your case, it shouldn't be too too difficult because it's not like uh, like with Java, you have to make sure that you have everything typed in a specific way. I mean, it's the same with Python. Python can Python can be really really picky when it comes to uh, formatting for the for its syntax. Um, but, but that might just be my background coming out that I'd rather just type everything in a text file. I, I was actually just playing with it a little bit a little bit ago. I went in a command line. And if you type Python, it brings up the, its interpreter, and then you can type in commands or copy and paste if you want to and do things that way. But I'd rather just type it into a text file and run it all at once. Uh, I experimented with uh, doing the calculations from the third exercise, some of or some of the concepts of it in there, and it gave the results readily, which was kind of cool. Uh one thing I did notice is you're right. It is very picky. Let's say you decide you want to print a message on the screen. You cannot capitalize print. You'll get a syntax error. 
Yep. Yep. Everything is very case sensitive when it comes to programming. So, and the basic commands, it's under mostly lowercase. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that, that is... The reason for that is because Python comes from a background of C programmers. And if you've ever coded in C or if you ever see any C code, uh, look it up sometime. It's pretty interesting. Uh, it might blow your brain, so be careful. <laughs> um, but C syntax and then C uh, standard... Uh, Naming procedures and so on and so forth require you to keep everything lowercase. So, like your variables and stuff like that, they're all like like you could have an entire line, but it's all lowercase. It makes it really stupid and annoying to read. However, the compiler recognizes that quicker than having different cases in there. So, if you have uppercase and lowercase, it actually slows down the compiler. If you have just all lowercase, it's quicker. And trying to do more things in more of a complex way, like a compound statement or trying to crunch everything into as little code as possible, is very, very good for C programming as well. And Python is designed that way. So it's it's handy. You have some availability of some of those uh, C library functions in there. A little bit annoying to do it in Python, but they're there. Oh. And I, I kind of looked at, I'm looking at exercise four variables. Um, you were not kidding when you said you could declare anything as anything practically. It's just, it's insane. <laughs> um, they start with cars equals a hundred space underscore n underscore a underscore car equals 4.0 drivers equals 30 passengers equals 90 cars not driven equals cars minus drivers cars driven equals drivers and 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 space between words you have to have an underscore in this case for variables too (laughs) um i can see this is as you said, very powerful, but I also kind of see it as kind of dangerous if you're not careful to yeah, a point that's, too. That's true. And then in the case of what this author or uh, this guy is trying to do is by inserting these underscores into these variables, it makes it seem more like a standard, uh, what most people would interpret a string as. In other words, it's just normal. It's uh, just a bunch of words. That underscore is hard to see. So that can be one thing that you'd have to pay attention to if you're, like, jumping through some code and stuff like that. Um, uh, see, I was going somewhere with that. Um, then at the, at the same time, if you try to, like, squeeze it all without all those spaces, you have to read all that, and then it can get really annoying, especially if you have, like, five, six, seven different words, all with a lot of letters per word. Then you can have this giant... 20 to 30 character long string, which is your variable name that you're trying to figure out. Good luck. Because, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm used to declaring something as a basic string or an integer, which is your basic standard number, or if, if you need something really huge, long, which is very, very rare in, in some cases, um, that sort of thing. 
so it's 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 a little bit different and and one of the strategies that this guy is talking about in terms of debugging is read from the end all the way to the top the last line to the first line uh that sort of thing to kind of detach yourself from your code so you can see where you're messing up if you're messing up at all um and some of the things that he's having people do is insert comments and in your own words describe what it's doing he's teaching people to document what's going on in the coding too which is which uh, how how many pieces of source code have you looked at and go what the hell what the hell are they trying to accomplish after noticing there's no documentation whatsoever uh like a lot of, I gotta say this very carefully. A lot of the code that I look through at my job has that same issue. Um, the JavaScript code that I've been messing with is like the opposite end of the spectrum. They went a little too crazy with the documentation and that was very, very, very vague. And some of the documentation is actually literally word for word copied and pasted to a different method that does something different. But it has the same description. Same exact style, notations and everything from the previous function, which is all grouped together to do one specific task, so that you can call an algorithm. Oh wow! But so, yeah, it, it, documentation it's hard. It's hard to do right. It really is. And the problem that I have when I'm coding something for myself or for an assignment, I just type away. <laughs> I don't put any. I don't put any documentation in there because I understand what's going on. And then later on, I can go back and, for the most part, usually I know what's going on. Right. Come over and be like, the fuck? (laughs) Right. Oh, absolutely. And, and in, in this, this particular exercise, um, one of their study drills is when I wrote this program, the first time I made a mistake and Python told me about it like this. Um, And basically he's asking you to explain the error and make sure you use line numbers to explain why. Um, and it also makes you think, I use 4.0 for space in a car, but is it necessary? What happens if it's just four? Because apparently, if you do point zero, it's a, you're, you're doing floating point as opposed to just you know another number. And I, I changed a lot of numbers to point zero, you know, like not 45.0 or something like that and re reran the script and the calculations turned out differently. Much more and, precise. Yep. And the explanation is it, it doesn't deal with fractions. It drops, it drops the fractions unless you specifically use the percent sign to ask for the remainder which that kind of threw me a little bit at first. It's like, wait, why, why the hell are you doing this? And then after you explained, after I looked at their explanation and you gave examples, it's basically a shortcut to divide this to divide these two numbers, but show the remainder of it. It's, it can be very, very handy depending on what you're doing too. Um, 
for example, for what I, I had to do something, I think this was a couple of weeks ago, I was writing some SQL queries. And for those of you that don't know, uh, SQL is a procedural language and some of the commands in there aren't case sensitive, which can also screw with you <laughs> until you're like trying to like a specific database name that is always case sensitive. Certain things are and certain things aren't. So it's not like a normal, uh, like strict programming language or everything. Everything is, has to be case. It's like super case sensitive. And then, go to SQL, it's like, eh, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I had to to filter out some stuff by um, using what Thomas was referring to, the, the percent sign. I had to do it differently in the SQL query, but it's called the uh, modulus operator. And basically what that does is like he was saying, you, it's almost like dividing, but only getting the remainder. And it's very quick. And I had to do that to get even numbers versus odd numbers. And the really easiest way to do that is by modding by two. So, like, for example, you take 3% 2 in Python, that's going to give you 1. If you take 4% 2, that's going to give you 0, because 4 divided by 2 is 1, or 2. It goes into twice, evenly. You don't have anything left over. If you did 5, it would actually be like, 2.5 if you're doing a floating point number, but if you're doing the modulus operator, it'll give you one, just like if you're doing three mod two or three percent two, sir. So, and and according to Shaw, it's basically it's the way that the language was designed. Um, but but so far, I I've I've looked at it. Um, and I I managed to make sure an updated version of Raspbian was installed, um, and I, I like the look of it better than previous incarnations of LXDE on it because that and I had to do some extra options to force HDMI for audio and everything else, but that worked pretty well. Uh, of course, I, I installed GetIt because multiple tabs has more options for line numbers, indentation, and all of that. As soon as he started describing, you know, Notepad plus plus or some other editor for OS ten, I was like, I better get GetIt, because that's that'll work a little bit better if I want to work with multiple text files. And of course, I I'm able to use the terminal to run Python. Um, you would know more about this at this point than I would. Uh, Shaw cautions against using Python 3. Um, he points people towards Python 2. Um, are more, are, are people getting closer to using Python 3 or is it still a ways off? As far as I know, I think it's still a ways off. Um, the reason for that is because... Uh, when Python 2, like between Python 1 and 2, I'm not 100% sure about the differences in terms of the design of the language, but Python 2.7, whatever the latest version is, and then Python 3, if you go, if you take like this giant lump of code that was written in Python 2.7 and try to go over and run it in Python 3, it's not going to work. Python 3 has been changed dramatically compared to 
normal just iterations and version updates and things here and there. They've added features that take some taken some features away. Uh, what specific information? I honestly don't know. I just do know that you can't take two seven code and throw it into three code and expect it to work. I mean, if it's simple things like printing statements and you don't have a lot of stuff going on, it's most likely going to work. But if you have if you have a full fledged application, you try to run that on Python three, it's not going to work. I can almost guarantee it, just because of the the architectural difference differences and the changes that they've made to version three. And and people have asked the guy, apparently asked the guy, you know, when will you recommend using three? And basically, it's when more when more and more people are coding towards it, they're not. So, I guess I guess it's three right now is still a work in progress. I guess. It, well, it's a combination of that, and then also. Uh, there's a big, there's a common thing when it comes to like software development and programming. Uh, people stress on the fact of why reinvent the wheel. So code reuse is a very, very, very high uh, priority and a very important thing. Um, like so, like if you're writing something, like if you're writing an app or an application that does some, it's like some kind of game and it's based off of dice. And you already did some other game that used, utilized dice. Most likely you had some kind of module that does that represents that dice of object or the, the idea of a die. So that way, instead of rewriting from scratch, rewriting, hey, I'm going to make this dice.java file or whatever, you can go back, just literally copy that file over and reuse it without having to type all that extra work and do all that extra work and think about it again, just use it. Then you don't have to sit there and rethink it and then try to reinvent the wheel. It's, I mean, it's, it's a waste of time really. And when it comes to programming, there's sometimes there's things when you need to focus on, like if you're trying to do something different with this game, you're trying to implement some specific feature, some, game mechanic that's different than any other game out there. You need to spend most of your time thinking about that rather than thinking about something that's already been done. Understood on that one. Um, like he, like from, you know, same logic as trying to run visual basic six code in newer versions of visual basic.net. Um, there used to be a compatibility thing that checked your code for you, but um, even that would only do so much from what I understood at the time. Mm-hmm. So then again, .NET introduced more object orientation too, so <laughs> which was kind of interesting. But um, I, so far, so far, it's the whole thing's made me think. Um, like, like I said, I found out that the you know the symbol that's now commonly known for hashtags also used for comments was also referred to as other things in the past as well and it's just kind of different contexts different meanings and it's just it blew my mind so i have a feeling i'm going to be doing a lot of web surfing yeah um because of that um Sorry, I didn't really mean to interrupt. <laughs> I just wanted to give you another pointer. Um, 
the, the hashtag symbol or the pound symbol. That's for a single line comment. I don't know if you've researched or anything, but you can also do multi-line comments. So in other words, like instead of like constantly putting a hashtag in the front of every line, like if you have five lines and you have like this paragraph that you're trying to explain like what this entire file does or what this group of methods do, you can go in and you can type three uh, double quotes in a row and then just type whatever. And then like whatever at the end of the last line of that comment, type those three in again. And that's a multi-line comment rather than typing a little hashtag for each line. Okay. Work, and you can also put it into a giant block rather than hashtag type, hashtag type, hashtag type. You just do the three comments once and then you type all your crap and then put it at the end again. It's really nice. Okay, that, that'll that be a future thing I'll use. <laughs> that does get tedious after it a does. while. It does, especially like uh, from my perspective. And now that I'm a, I am a software developer, uh, oh, it'll come in handy. <laughs> but um, uh, exercise four, I'll I'll keep a lookout for on on doing that because um, I because Epiphany has no problem rendering these pages for the most part, although although I may get like transparent background temporarily when the CPU goes above like 30% usage, but it's not hard to get it to do that. So <laughs> launching the uh, Pi edition of Minecraft, the loading screen spiked the thing hundred percent. I'm like, Oh my, <laughs> now, now, now I see why they uh, updated it with a faster CPU. Cause that, that was barely this barely runs a full operating system on it so um i i will say that it if somebody had enough patience they could practically use it as a glorified game console and use each sd card as an individual cartridge of sorts and then i don't know um but uh but I think I'll continue that adventure um, maybe every day. I don't know yet, but at least once a week. Um, speaking of games, your your thoughts on E3, sir? Oh, I've got so many thoughts on E3. <laughs> um, so, okay. Did we talk about E3 the last time? I think, I think we mentioned Fallout 4, didn't we? Right. Bethesda... Um, saying they had an announcement and and there was that countdown timer and then after everything got published, boom, there it was, Fallout 4 and people were... Fallout 4 trailer. I watched right. the trailer probably seven, eight times that day. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys out there are listening to this. That day, I was the day of the previous podcast we were talking and I was talking about how excited I was for this game. Well, the trailer didn't help anything. That just made it worse. And then the announcement yesterday that Bethesda actually was on Sunday that they made it today. They were, were recording on a Tuesday. So two days ago, they uh, announced a bunch of the different features of the game, uh, kind of the context of the storyline. They didn't, they didn't spoil anything because it's Bethesda. They're so good about not doing that because they don't want to spoil it. Uh, 
but it's it's combining uh, some aspects of in the Fallout universe. Uh, there was a giant nuclear disaster which caused a bunch of uh, radiation and fallout. That's where it gets the name. Uh, but there was a bunch of vaults built for people to go in underground. Turns out those were all experiments <laughs> that were supposed to experiment and collect data on the people that went under there instead of saving them from the natural, dis- the giant disaster from the Great War, as it's referred to in the Fallout universe, which happened in 2077. And in this new Fallout game, it starts out in 2077. And you play as a character and you play right as the bombs are dropping. You have to get to a vault and whatnot. Um, but they talked about some of the features in the game and stuff like that. And needless to say, I'm super excited. You'll just have to go look at the trailer and look at the video of all the different features and stuff like that. It takes some things from like what some modders have done for Fallout 3, some of the aspects that Obsidian put into Fallout New Vegas, and then added some new things into the game, which will make it very interesting. And I'm super looking forward to playing it and playing around with all these different things. You can do all kinds of different construction and stuff that hasn't been done in games before. They kind of did that a little bit with an add-on for uh, Skyrim. But overall, my thoughts on E3 are kind of up and down. Um, Nintendo, I guess, from some of the people that I've talked to, and Thomas and I were discussing this before we started the podcast, um, Nintendo kind of kicked themselves in the butt this year and they kind of just kind of it was more of a flop than anything um, Square Enix I'm like super looking forward to some of the games that they've uh, thrown out there at E3. One of them was already really, uh, announced a while ago, Kingdom Hearts 3. I'm a big fan of the Kingdom Hearts series uh, I don't think they released an actual release date but they did release more uh, footage and stuff like that um, they also released the next installation of the Deus Ex series, which I'm super excited for. The story for the last game, which came out in 2011, was really, really good. Um, they have another re-release of Fallout, or Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII, which is full, fully 3D and everything. They had a trailer for it. Um, I think that was yesterday, because E3 was going all through this weekend, and I think it was also yesterday, too. I'm not mistaken. Um, um, Steve Kelly asked me what my thoughts were on it, or basically, hey, you excited? And I give a big old thumbs up. Um, (laughs) The bad news is I'm afraid I'm going to have to just set, practically set hundreds of dollars on fire just to get a PlayStation (laughs) 4, just to enjoy it. Um, Although... Although I'd rather wait until closer to time when they're going to be like, oh, this is when it's going to be released, or just maybe wait and see if they release it on Steam or something. Because honestly, um, with the way audio has advanced on computers now, there is no excuse for not making music basically the same quality on a console as it is on a full-fledged desktop. Um, The MIDI rendition that Eidos Interactive did was just terrible. It's just, it made me gag. I'm like, no, why did I, I put up with it, but I'm like, oh, this is terrible. And then playing, playing it on the PlayStation, it sounded so much different and better. And I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> I, I, I take it you've encountered that too. Uh, yeah, even the... Okay, so the reason why I said re-release of a re-release is because um, Square Enix decided, oh, let's re-release Fallout, or Final Fantasy VII, which they did, I believe, last year sometime. I don't remember. I bought it because I didn't have it on Steam, so now I have it on Steam. I used to play it when I was real little. So... Um, that was the re-release of the original game, which was released on the PC back in the day when it first came out, which was around late 90s, early 2000s. I think it was like 98, 99, if I'm not mistaken, when Final Fantasy VII came out. Um, I played it around that time. <laughs> I know I did because I played it on the original PlayStation. Um, but now this, this is a remake, so a reboot of Final Fantasy VII, not a re-release. So it's kind of a re-release but not. So it's supposed to be fully 3D rendered and like all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's, it, it looks good. The The trailer that I saw looked really, really, really good. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. Uh, let's see. Who else was really good? Oh, the new Star Wars game is going to be coming out and uh, DICE and EA were there showing that off and that looks really, really good. Uh, it's Star Wars Battlefront. For those of you that are familiar with the Star Wars Battlefront games, there was a Battlefront and Battlefront 2, which were on the PlayStation and PlayStation 2. I think they might have been both on the PlayStation 2. And they were also on the Xbox. And they had a version of it for the PC. I actually have it. I bought it on this giant bundle from Humble Bundle a while ago. And it's just the, the graphics are terrible, but it's still a fun game. <laughs> it's just it's showing its age now. It came out in like 2003, 2004, which is when... Uh, Battlefront 2 came out. So this is a little over 10 years since that last game has come out. Uh, Square Enix overall has, has a lot of crap that they're coming out with. It's not crap, it's good. <laughs> um, but they have the Deus Ex game. Uh, Bethesda also is redoing Doom. So those of you that played back in the 80s, <laughs> you can get excited about a game that looks really awesome for a game that has, was way, way back when, before I was born. <laughs> um, um, Need for Speed, I've, I've, I've heard of that game. Oh, yeah, 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 that one. I forgot about that. According uh, to our list that we made there, um, I used to hear about... Um, I, I took a... Um, basically a glorified IT course um, after at a Votech, which had you know arrangements with local high schools after doing one year of programming and the teacher deciding they're going to retire right in the middle of that year. So I had, they had nobody to replace him with. So to that other class I went and the instructor always talked about playing need for speed on his computer. He, I guess, enjoyed the racing games quite a bit. Uh, and I guess it was a very good franchise. <laughs> Did that look up on your Thomas? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to transfer something to a flash drive. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why I decided to die. Oh, crud. I think Windows just like took a poop. Oh, I mean, oh I, I can 
I can still hear you. So, but um, Need for Speed. Um, Need for Speed, um, pretty good game, from what I heard. Um, the, the, I just got to see the trailer just a little bit ago, and it looks really, really good. Um, I played, I played it. Jeez, off and on. Oh, did it come back? Awesome. Um, I played it. Like I remember when Most Wanted came out for PS2, or the yeah for the PS2. That, that game was so awesome. They released it on the PC. I managed to download a. Never mind, I won't say that right now. Um, I downloaded a version that wasn't necessarily legal. I did the same thing with Carbon, <laughs> but uh, I played the crap out of it. And it's really fun. It looks like they're trying to go back to that kind of street racing, customize your car, do all kinds of crazy stuff you really wouldn't be able to do based on physics and stuff like that. So it looks really, really fun. Um, and it looks it looks amazing. Like the graphics are just above and beyond what was like 10 years ago and even five years ago with like shift two or shift and shift two unleashed, which I have shift two unleashed on uh, steam. And it's really fun too. Well, just above and beyond. Um, you, you mentioned, you mentioned um, downloading quote unquote or not, but, but the, um, this was back in the day when, you know, you didn't have Steam and didn't have these game-changing entities that caused prices to drop on games and everything else. Um, Phil Wesley of DMG Highs, he kind of commented on E3. He was somewhat dismissive of it, but he did comment that apparently that the PC was the basically, in his mind, the secret winner of this year. Um, and I found that comment to be very, very interesting. Um, I, I kind of agree with it to a point between, between the PS, uh, the PC and the PS4, I think, well, Square Enix was really just stabbing Microsoft in the gut this time. And, uh, you mentioned just a little bit ago before we started the podcast about an image, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen because it's absolutely hilarious. I can't. I cannot share my screen right now. <laughs> you guys are going to have to give me a second. I'll get to it, but you can see it right here. You'll be able to see this if you go on um, uh, YouTube and watch the watch the podcast. But right here, you can see. I'll blow this up. Uh, not like that. I'll blow this up. But right here, this image. <laughs> it's. <laughs> it's an image of E3 2015 with uh, Sony's logo on the Buster Buster Sword cutting through an Xbox One, which <laughs> is eloquently put by this image. And also very hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I saw this circulating on Facebook, and I'm like, oh my. <laughs> um, and hat tip to Andrew Ike for sharing that. He's one of my friends on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I saw it's like, oh my. And and um, the, I've seen that sentiment that okay, um, Square Enix has you know shown all of this. Um, everybody else can go home now because. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, 
but right right now it's you know Nintendo. Some people felt with there's some of their stuff was lackluster. Um, Microsoft, you know, so so Sony. Um, I, I don't know. It's just so some people liked it, some people didn't. Others were like, "Hey, more video games, yay!" So, um, like, do you? I don't think I don't think this is going to sound the death knell of video games as we know it. It's just 2015's kind of, you know, it's kind of another year for games and another year for Nintendo to try to get its act together in terms of, you know, getting people excited about things and not making them worry about, you know, whether they're going to exist now or. <laughs> in the future and what have you. So I think, I think Nintendo's problem is that they're, they're holding on. (laughs) They're holding on to certain things. So, so hard and for so long, which in terms of like Mario and then like a lot of the big name things that you, 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 you hear that and then you think Nintendo, I mean, it's obvious they've been together forever. That's the way it's always going to be, but they haven't really released anything new. Like, uh, they're coming up this year. They finally come out with a new Star, uh, uh, Star Fox game, which is good because there's been a lot of fans that have been waiting for that. And, and it looks good. It looks like uh, they had worked on one originally and then it got canceled. I forgot what the title of that one was supposed to be, but I think it's similar to what this new one is. But it's, uh, I think that's really the only thing that people can get excited for that Nintendo has brought out because other than that, you have another Mario game and another Mario Kart game and another Mario Party game. It's just, it's the same crap. That's why people are getting frustrated. Um, I'm not a big Nintendo fan, so I don't have that big of a problem with it. I always liked Mario, so I I can still play a Mario game. But it's not um, There is a remake of Earthbound, what we call Earthbound Zero. They call it Earthbound Beginnings. Um, Earthbound was this SNES game that was very popular, but in Japan it was called Mother 2. Mother 1 was actually translated to English and everything else, but for some reason Nintendo never released it um, in the U.S. Um, yes, you can find a ROM for it today uh, and, and download it and play it, but um, they... I do remember reading they announced that. So it's okay. So they're revisiting the Earthbound franchise, which I think is good. But, uh, you know, they, there were rumors of, you know, Earthbound 64th for the N64. And then all of a sudden, boom, it it never materialized. So um, hopefully they'll come up with something new because let's face it, Pokemon and Smash Brothers has been basically what's been carrying, maybe some Metroid has been carrying the, that whole company, at least in the U.S., for quite some time now. So maybe, just maybe, you know, they'll look at this year as a wake-up call and try something new. But um, 
but yeah, I, I'm I'm tempted to look at a PS4, but not until I know for sure when that remake is going to be released. Because <laughs> you know they're going to integrate, you know, Crisis Core storyline into it somehow, and make everything kind of consistent in terms of that. So that would be nice, especially since I haven't played the Crisis Core uh, game, which was kind of a branch off of the same story. It was kind of like a prequel, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and followed uh, Sephiroth and Cloud and how, like, and, and he plays a different character. I can't remember what his name is. Uh, Zach Fair. Yeah. And you kind of go through, like, his storyline a little bit, but it does, it does get into the background of why uh, Sephiroth is the way that he is, sort of. I mean, it doesn't get into it 100%. The rest of it's answered by the, the original game. So. But you, you do eventually find out how Zack basically meets his end, which the, tr- the ending video sequence for that was very, very sad. But, um, but yeah, I'm... I'm definitely looking forward to that maybe maybe by the time they release that i'll have been able to learn enough python to write a game for the pie i i don't know um <laughs> we'll see how long my patience holds out um <laughs> although I, I am i am i am interested with this teaching style of of mr zed shaw because I, i've been used to more structured advanced um structured lessons do this do that and that sort of thing and then use the coding as a template for something else but um i'll see where that goes um you have anything else to add not that i can think of off the top of my head um if you guys have any topics of something that you would like to like to talk about definitely shoot us a message on our Facebook page or you can call us at our number. You'd have to ask Thomas for a number. I never remember it. Um, you can get a hold of us. Let us know uh, because one of the biggest problems that I think that I have when uh, you and I talked before our podcast, some days I just, I just can't think of a topic <laughs> usually because nothing's really been going on. Uh, nothing's just like really hit my interest or it's just like I don't want to go back to a topic that we've already talked about a couple of times right. and branch out a little bit. So if there's something that you guys want to hear, let us know <laughs> by all means. Uh, we're definitely interested in doing new things. I know I am. Um, I, I talked a long time ago about maybe doing a like a build log of a computer or walking through how to build a computer. I may be able to do that soon. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but just – if you guys have ideas, just let us know. And that number, by the way, is 660-474-0345. <laughs> and I make sure that that Google Voice number stays active and everything else. So um, just uh, leave us a message. You could very well wind up on the next episode of the podcast. Um, and and hopefully we'll have some of our other co-hosts on at least one of them next week. I'm trying to work that out with them because um, one of the things in the pro wrestling um, business kind of 
kind of tragedy kind of occurred and and a legend passed away and we wanted to talk I wanted to talk about him and everything else I'm talking of course about Dusty Rhodes um if you remember some guy dancing towards the ring and wearing polka dots on his um on his outfit it, yeah that was him and um Steve Kelly it's been a long time since he's been on on the show his work schedule my work schedule hasn't always allowed us to be on a show together. So trying to work something out with him, see what we can do on that. Um, but have you, I take it you've heard of Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I did. I did hear of his passing as well. I didn't know too much about him before uh, because it's been, it had been so long since I've watched like any wrestling. It was when I was younger and like just before, uh, middle school. I was still in grade school when I last watched wrestling. My uh, sister was still married. <laughs> it was a long time ago. So I, I'd, I'd love to re- get back into it and revisit it. Now that I have to I might. I don't know. I've got so many games <laughs> piled up on my plate now. That <laughs> I don't know if I'll do it. I'll try. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, the, those are among topics that I'm I'm looking at in the future but um, let us know entertain yourself educate yourself empower yourself I'm Thomas and I'm Shaggy and we'll talk at you next week see you guys later <laughs>